0: Let me invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 29 this evening. Genesis chapter 29. We're going to make our way into chapter 30 as well, but we'll start in chapter 29. And this passage that we'll be looking at this evening contains a somewhat uh, difficult doctrine that comes up occasionally in the Old Testament. And that's the the doctrine, the the idea of polygamy. Uh, Jacob here is... Uh, well, we had already seen that he had been deceived by his his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law, Laban, his uncle, Laban. He was deceived into marrying Leah, and, uh, and as a result, Jacob worked another seven more years in order, to mar- in order to marry Rachel. Now, in the passage in which we saw that happen, um, we don't have any indication that that was wrong obviously we know from other parts of scripture that was wrong but but in this passage itself it doesn't say no one st- st- stands up and says Jacob you can't marry Rachel at this point right you're already married to somebody you've married Leah so that that's it that's final one man for one woman for one lifetime and we don't have that in the passage and so that's why i say it's a somewhat difficult passage and we think of the results that came from Rachel that uh, you have uh, a man like Joseph that came from her, and and Benjamin, uh, two great um, men of God, that would serve God, and and um, and so we we are a little bit unsure. Okay, well maybe polygamy is okay uh, when you look at a story like that. But remember, when you're looking at the scriptures, just because I, listen to this carefully, just because the scripture records something, just because it records something doesn't mean that it condones it. Okay? There are lots of narratives in the Scripture that speak about an event and sometimes in that specific passage it doesn't say this is right or wrong. You have to use the whole of Scripture to come to a conclusion of whether that's acceptable in God's sight. Um, and, and what you're going to find is that the Bible never condones polygamy. It records it, but it doesn't condone it. The pattern that was set up by God in Genesis chapter 2 is that the two, man and woman, shall be one flesh. That the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Not three or four shall become one flesh, right? Two. Uh, now, we, we've had this before. Abraham, remember, took Hagar and, uh, and as a result of that, took on disastrous consequences... Uh, unimaginable consequences as a result of him marrying Hagar. Uh, the marriage there was a lesser marriage. These concubines that they, these men often take in the Old Testament, they're really just lesser wives that are designed to um, to procreate primarily, just to provide them a son, which is the case for Abraham. And because of Abraham's illegitimate marriage, uh, his second marriage that is, his son was born, Ishmael, set off uh, an amazing amount of conflict. A group of people that have descended from Ishmael that have not stopped fighting with Isaac's descendants. Esau, we see, that took two Hittite wives and then an Ishmaelite wife. I mean, there's no indication. Uh, there, there is some indication on that one. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca are both upset that he does that. But but generally speaking, there's not an indication that that it's wrong. Uh, that's why you have to use the rest of Scripture. Jacob is going to find himself in a whole set of difficult circumstances, a web of jealousy and and conflict between his two sister wives. And um, and if we want to be just just honest about what happened there, obviously we have the twelve sons of Israel coming from. Uh, Leah, Rachel, and then the two concubines. Um, We say, well, well, there's 12 sons. See, those 12 sons of Israel, they're significant in the Old Testament, so it must have been okay for them. And that's not the way to determine if something's okay. In fact, if Jacob would have only married Leah, stayed married to her, and married no one else, had children through no one else, he he would have, his wife, Leah, would have given birth to, and she did, to Levi, who would be the father of the priestly line, and Judah, who would be the father of what line? The Messianic line, right? That's who Jesus would come That was the promise to Jacob that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And yet Jacob went against the ordained structure of one man for one woman for one Lifetime, And I say it at the, at the outset of this study because as we go through this, I'm not going to comment on, a, on it a whole lot. I just want to put that out there make sure that you're clear that the Scriptures are against it. Um, most of you have as much as you can handle right now, right? So you don't want another spouse. But, but just so we're clear, um, um, the, the amazing part about God is, is that despite Jacob's foolishness, God still shows mercy on him. And he does do great things through these twelve sons, uh, even though they, were, they, were, they came about as a result of four different wives. Let me read the passage that we'll study tonight, and then we'll uh, see what God has for us. This is the Word of God. Chapter 29, verse 31. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. And then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I'll die. And then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? She said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her so that she may bear on my knees, that through her I too may have children. So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife. And Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, With mighty wrestling's, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped burying, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, How fortunate. So she named him Gad. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, Happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, Please, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel uh, said, Therefore, he may lie with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son. Son to Jacob. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. After she Afterward she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Despite conflict and misguided efforts, God still blesses His people. Despite conflict and misguided efforts, God still blesses His people. In the first part of the passage, chapter 29, verses 31-35, to we see that God blesses His people because of their oppression. Notice in verse 31, Now the Lord saw that Leah was Unloved, She was unloved. God in His mercy looked down on Leah because she was unloved. Now, what what exactly does that mean? Some translations, perhaps you have one, says that she was hated by Jacob. Notice verse 30, we see what that means. Look up to there, verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. So, Jacob in his choice of wives, wives chose Rachel over Leah. He would have rather been married to Rachel only, but again, he was tricked, and so he felt like he still needed to to marry this one whom he worked for and loved. And his uh, uncle had no problem with that, so so he went ahead and did it. But he loved Rachel more than Leah. And so God looks down on Leah because she's now in this marriage with a man who doesn't love her. She is unloved by her own husband. And so, one of the ways that God shines His grace on her, Leah, and He shines His grace on Jacob, is by producing this child through them. Reuben, given as a gift from God. Notice what his name means. Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Verse 33, she gives birth to a second son, uh, Simeon. And this means the Lord hears. In verse 34, Levi. Hope for attachment. Verse 35, Judah. Now I will praise the Lord. So here we have in in rapid succession, perhaps within three or or four years, you have four children being born, four sons being born to Leah. And... um, and the, moment, the momentum is beginning to increase. And we're going to see the tension beginning to increase between Leah and Rachel. And that's what this story is about. It's about this conflict between these two sisters. They can't stand how how, how um, God is allowing this to happen. God blesses His people because of their oppression. God looks down on the lowly, on the oppressed, like He does here with Leah. In verses uh, in chapter thirty, verses one through thirteen, we see that God blesses His people despite their misguided efforts. Despite their misguided efforts, God blesses His people. In verses one through eight, we have Dan and Naphtali being born, but they're not born through one of these two women. Instead, there's a conflict that arises. Rachel realizes that she's not going to bear any children for her husband, and so instead of of being on the short end of the stick, meaning that she's not going to be able to give anything to her husband, she offers this maid of hers so that she can have uh, sort of a surrogate child um, for herself. And we see Rachel's jealousy in verses 1 and 2. Notice, uh, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, "'Give me children or I die.'" Why is why is she so jealous of her sister? It's it's obvious she's jealous because she can't bear any children. So she's like, I'd rather die than have to to deal with this. That that my older sister, who's also married to you, is is bearing all these children, and I'm sitting here barren. And Jacob's response is is I think a good one. Verse two, he says, "Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb?" Now it, it's sounds as if Jacob is passing the blame, doesn't it? Well, I'm not God, talk to him. Okay? And and he may be. It's not clear from the text, but but I think he's actually making a good response here. And the reason I think that is because of Genesis chapter 50. There in Genesis chapter 50, uh Joseph's brothers are waiting for Joseph to kill him, kill kill them because they have mistreated him. And Joseph uh says to them, "Listen, Am I in the place of God? I'm not going to bring down retribution on you. That's up to God. He says, Am I in the place of God? And then he moves to the very next phrase, which you are probably familiar with, Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but what? But God meant it for good. Okay, so when Joseph uses that phrase, Am I in the place of God? He's using the exact same phrase that Jacob, his father, is using here. And so I think it's actually a good one. so he's. He's pointing them to the fact that God is sovereign over your womb. I, I can't control that. Okay, he's the one that provides in that way. and I, so I think the point is that Jacob's saying, "Listen, I can't force you to have a child. I'm not God. okay so So, so you need to talk to God, and I think that was a good, that was a good response by him. In verses three and four, we see Rachel's misguided effort. So because she's so frustrated, so jealous with her sister because she can't have any children, what does she do? She, she, she offers to Jacob her, uh, her maid. Verse 3, she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her so that she may bear on my knees, that through her I too may have children. And uh, Jacob, of course, agrees. And, and, uh, and uh, they have a child together. They have two children together, in fact. Rachel follows what Jacob's grandmother once did, Sarah, with Hagar. Okay, Sarah was frustrated because God had promised a son and nothing had come. Abraham's thinking, well, maybe God's going to give the blessing to this, this first servant in my household, Eleazar. Maybe that's where the blessing is going to go. And God says, no, I'm actually going to give you a son. And Sarah knew about that, but but year after year went, 13 years go by, nothing happens. So Sarah says, you know what? You need to take Hagar, my maid, and and then we'll have a son through her. And uh, of course, Abraham complies. And uh, and how'd that turn out for her? I mean, Sarah and Hagar became best friends, right? Uh, The son of Hagar turned out to be a, a really great person. One of God's best. No. Ishmael was a wicked young boy and uh, hated God's promise. Hagar was was uh, despised by Sarah and had to be removed from her on at least two occasions. Um, but, but, but Jacob, uh, even though Rachel offers this as a solution, doesn't reject it. Instead, verse 4 says, So she gave him her maid Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went in to her. So, obviously, Rachel was in the wrong for suggesting this. She, he should not have gone and, and, and married another woman, but but again, Jacob is also in the wrong because he shouldn't have, have followed through with this. He shouldn't have agreed to it. What he's trying to do is trying to appease the, the, the animosity, the, the tension that there is within his household. And so, in order to appease her, well, she wants to have a son, so I'll I'll allow her to have a son through through this other woman. That wasn't the solution. And uh, apparently, from Rachel's perspective, she has success. Verses 5-8. through eight. First, Dan is born. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Notice how that works. She takes responsibility for the son because it was uh, born through her maid. And uh, and there seems to be an implication here that Rachel had been praying to God. Did you see that in verse 6? God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice. There seems to be an implication that she had prayed to God, please give me a son. And uh, and perhaps that's what's going on there. But ultimately, what she should have done if she was really serious about her prayer was to wait on God. To wait on Him to respond in his timing but for her she she wanted to manipulate the circumstances to to make it turn out like she wanted without waiting for God so the praying was a good thing assuming that she did it but but the fact that she didn't wait was not. there was a second son born in verses seven through eight to Rachel's maid and his name is Naphtali and notice how she she sees this second son verse seven Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. So I'm wrestling with my sister. There's this tension going on. I'm wrestling with her, and I've had the final uh, the final win here. You see what's going on? This is a full-on competition. Who can provide more pleasure... In the sense of providing sons for Jacob, who, who can do it? started out that Leah was, was winning. She, she was winning four to zero, but now it's four to two. Rachel's catching up, and she seems to be on, on a tear now because not only does she have Jacob's favor, she is his loved wife, but now she has two children as well. And so she takes this as a minor victory. I have prevailed over the wrestling of my sister. And so Leah responds in verses 9-13 through with a little bit of, uh, I would say, uh, misguided efforts of her own. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. Um, Then verse 12, Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women shall call me happy. So she named him Asher. You can imagine the the uh, the frustration, the the tension that's going on between these two sisters at this time, that that they are are in some ways doing this out of spite for each other, that that, that they're showing each other up, that they're mocking each other when a child is born. See, I do have more children. Perhaps Leah's line was, "I'm winning, six to two. And, and yours aren't even legitimate. If we want to talk about legitimate ones, it's, I'm winning four to zero. And, and, and so Rachel comes back and forth. Well, you're unloved and, and Jacob doesn't really love you. And the only reason that he spends any time with you is because you have a few sons. And so the tension is high. And this is going to give way to the, the climax of the story. And that is that, that God is going to show His favor on this family despite the conflict and the misguided Efforts. In verses 14 to 21, we see that God blesses His people by overpowering superstitious practices. Okay, that's those mandrakes that you saw there when we were reading through. This is a superstitious practice that that um, that people would use in order to become more uh, fertile. Let me just uh, read for you these first three verses again, verses 14 to 16, and then I'll try to explain this for you. Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, Therefore he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. So what's going on here is is Rachel exchanges one night with her husband Jacob, one night with her husband for uh, Reuben's mandrakes. Now Reuben at this time is probably four or five years old. The reason I know that is because the next story that we're going to look at is is Jacob finishing up his seven years of service to Laban. Okay. So so and between this time where. Reuben finds these mandrakes, and um, Laban makes another agreement for Jacob to work longer. There's there's only basically a couple more years. That's why I say that Reuben's probably only five years old this time. He goes out, he finds these mandrakes. These mandrakes are uh, they're actually like a yellow plum-sized fruit that were used um, back in the ancient Near East, and in fact, people still use them today. And many people believe that they have at least two benefits. One is that they have an arousing smell. In fact, in Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 13, uh, the uh the wife of Solomon there is is using that sort of fruit to to create a a um, atmosphere of coming together sensually, to coming together intimately. This mandrake. And so the, it it has some sort of a smell that would that would release that would be uh The second benefit, and this is the most important benefit, the reason that Rachel wanted it, was that they believed that it brought about uh, increased fertility. That if you were to eat these things, then it would increase the chances of, of having a child. And so it makes sense why Rachel would want this, because she wanted something really badly, and that was a child for herself. But the main problem with her wanting these things and going after them in the way that she did was that she was thinking that fertility comes from where? From the little fruit, right? The little mandrake. But where does fertility ultimately come from? It comes from God. And I think what was going on for Rachel is that she tried that. She recognized that fertility ultimately comes from God. So I'll pray to God. I'll pray to Him. But, what's happened? Nothing's happened. Nothing's happening. Years are passing. More children are being born, and none of them are being born to me, so I'm going to stop praying and do it my own way. I mean, are we any different from Rachel? You say, well, yeah, I don't have multiple spouses. Okay, but, but, but are we any different from Rachel spiritually with regard to our patience or lack thereof with God? We ask Him for something that we think we need or that we desperately want and we're not satisfied with His response. That's not what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear no or wait. I wanted to hear yes and no. And so what do we do? We go and We go from place to place and we use up all of our energy going after guaranteed technique after guaranteed technique in order to get what we think we want. And the whole time what we've done is we've pushed God to the side and saying, you're not the source of my health. You're not the source of my, my, my position at work. You're not the source of my happiness in this world. You're not the, the source of, of joy and, and you're not the source of, uh, of bringing these relationships together that I want. So I'll set you aside and I'll go about it my own way. I'll find my own solution. And we won't say it like that to God, but that's the way we act. And if we're honest with ourselves, then we're even sometimes willing to go outside of God's revealed desires for us in order to get what we think we need. And that's a blight on our own Christian lives. With all of the wealth of information, the wealth of resource we have in the Scriptures, we still fail to trust God. What's fascinating about this rivalry is that Rachel had the heart of Jacob and apparently the key to his intimate life as well. Did you see that in verse 15? Listen, if you give me these mandrakes, I'll let you lie with them. I mean, this is Leah's husband. But but again, Rachel is the more loved one, and so as a result, she kind of had control. Of, uh, uh, he apparently he stayed with her most often. And uh, in order for Leah to, to even spend the night with him, she would have to get permission. Or some kind of uh, make some kind of a trade in order to get it. Notice again God's compassion. You see this throughout the text, but God's compassion on the oppressed Leah in verses 17 through 21. Again, uh, it says God gave heed to Leah, similar to chapter 29, verse 31, that God saw that she was unloved. Verse 17 and 30, God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have made. I gave my maid to my husband, so she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter named Dinah. God shows His compassion on the oppressed Leah. And and throughout this, by the way, recognize that God is blessing Jacob by giving him these children, these sons particularly. Uh, The mention of Dinah here in uh, verse 21 is only here, I think, just to introduce us to her because we're going to come uh, across here in the next few chapters, chapter 34. And uh, so she's mentioned here. In fact, Jacob has several other daughters as well, but this is the only one that's mentioned in this passage because she will be at the center of attention in chapter 34. Notice Leah's hope in verse 20 at the end says, Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. What was her hope? Her hope was that Jacob would live with her permanently. Why? Because she had borne Jacob six of what would be his twelve sons. Right now it's only uh, ten. He's got ten sons and one daughter right now. And six of them are from Leah. And, and you could argue that the other two from her maid are, are from her as well. So you have eight of the, uh, of the ten children from Leah or 9 of the 11, excuse me, if you, if you include Dinah. Now, before we look at God's blessing on Rachel, and that's really where the passage is coming to in verses 22 through 24, let's think about the desires of these two sister wives. What do you think it was that drove each one of these women? What, what was it that drove them? What, what, were they, what did they, they ultimately desire? Let's start with Leah. What do you think her greatest desire was? Was it to have a lot of kids? I mean, she was having a lot of kids. She still wasn't happy, right? Maybe you just saw that in verse verse 19. I think that wasn't her ultimate desire. I think she wanted the kids for a reason. That is, that the kids were a means to an end. What was the end that she was looking for? She wanted to be what? Loved by her husband. Let me take you back through the passage and show you. Verse 31 of chapter 29. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Look at the end of verse 32. Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Verse 33 uh, at the end. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Verse 34. Towards the end of the verse, this time my husband will become attached to me. Each time she has a child, she's hoping this is going to be it. Look at chapter 30, verse 15. This is her argument to Rachel. Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? I had him first, right? You took him from me. Verse 16, she pleads with Jacob to spend a night with him. Here, I've, I've bought this night with you by giving these mandrakes to Rachel. And then verse 20, as I just mentioned, now my husband will dwell with me. Surely now he will be permanently dwelling with me. He will have to because I've borne him six sons. I mean, just think of the logistics of it. You have one wife over here in this tent with six sons, and you have another wife over here with no sons. And where's Jacob spending all of his time? All of his free time spent with the one that has no sons. She's over here taking care of all these kids. And you would think that Jacob would... Would uh, make his way over there, but but Leah is is saddened that he doesn't. She is unloved. Now let's think about Rachel. What was her greatest desire? Was it to be loved by Jacob? I mean, certainly she wanted to be loved by Jacob, but that wasn't that was a no brainer for her. It was it was she already saw his love displayed for her in the 14 years that he was willing to work for for her um, hand in marriage. But what was her ultimate desire? You think? What was it? I have more children, right? Notice how Moses brings this out in chapter 30, verse 1. At the end of the verse, Give me children or else I die. Verse 3, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may bear on my needs that needs, that through her I too may have children. Verse 6, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice. Verse 7, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and I prevailed. And then we'll see here in verse 23, when she finally does have a child, Joseph, she says, God has indeed taken away my reproach. Now, Jacob is really in the background of the story. We don't see a whole lot about him. He's not at the center of what is going on here. But what do you suppose his greatest desire is? It's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to get into the mind of Jacob we don't have a whole lot of ink spilled on the page uh, right now. And we're going to see that Jacob's going to be growing in faith throughout his life. But, but imagine that as you see him take on these maids as wife as wives, that one of his greatest desires is to calm the tension in the home, right? To get rid of that, that dripping faucet, like uh, Proverbs talks about the contentious wife is like dripping water. I mean... For Jacob, was two dripping faucets, like sitting in the middle of your house, all is quiet, and, all, and you got them going at different rates, and they're just going and going. You know. uh, Jacob is, is wanting some peace, I think. Uh, and, and he's going to grow in his, his desire to serve and love God. But, but at this point, he's simply trying to, to make peace at home. And, and sadly, he does it whatever means necessary, including taking on another wife, which is against God. what do you think God's greatest desire is in all of this? God's greatest desire for Himself is always to do what? It's always to glorify Himself, to honor His own name, right? Now, what is God doing in this story to honor His own name? I hope you've seen it drawn out that God looks down on the oppressed. He shows His mercy to people even when there is conflict, and misguided efforts. When, when there's, there's misguided choices, God shows His mercy. Verse 32, chapter 9, Reuben is the Lord has seen my affliction. Verse 33, Simeon means the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Verse 35, she says, I will indeed praise the Lord. And so God is lovingly guiding, allowing each conception and birth in such a way to show that these sister wives that he alone is responsible for for fertility. It seems like the only person that gets that that picture that understands that is Leah. Um, but but he alone is to be trusted. He is the source of joy and happiness. And, and if and if they if we are seeking for happiness apart from God and His revealed will, then that is idolatry. It's worldliness. You see, God is lovingly orchestrating the events in in this family's life and in our lives, both the prosperity, the, the good times, and the bad, the losses. God's orchestrating all of those to direct us back to Him, to remind us that we must wholeheartedly trust in Him and the blessings that He is going to give. That we can't force God to bless us as if He's some kind of turn up and we're just squeezing him for everything that he has. Just give me what I want. We can't force God to bless us. We simply depend upon him and allow him to guide the circumstances of life. Let's see the end of the passage here now in verses 22 through 24. God blesses his people by removing their reproach. Here, God remembers Rachel and the way that he remembers her is by giving her a son. Now, what does it mean in the Scripture when, when it talks about God remembering? Okay, God remembered Noah in chapter 8, verse 1. He remembered his servant Abraham in chapter 19 and 20, verse 29 by sparing his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. Had he forgotten about these people? Had he forgotten about Noah and Abraham? And now, Rachel, is that what happened? What does it mean when God remembers? Um, it's not that He has forgotten us uh Oh, I got to get back to work. I gotta. I, I was I was working over here. It's like we're in the kitchen, yo. We're working on this stove over here, and what we forgot was that the microwave is going, and we were supposed to check that. That's not how it works with God. He He knows all of what's going on at the same time. He's sovereignly in control of it all. And so when God, when the scriptures talk about God remembering, as it does here in verse 22, it means that God moves to action. That he moves to action with favor. That, that when he thought about Noah, this was when the waters had lifted all the way up above the mountains and God remembered Noah and allowed the east wind to come and to, to, and to start to settle the waters so that Noah could get back to the land. And, and when the Sodom and Gomorrah was about to happen, when the destruction of it was about to happen, God remembered His servant Abraham and allowed Lot and his family to be removed from it midst before it was destroyed. God remembered. That is, He moved to in favor to act in their behalf. And that's what it means when God remembers it. You see, the Scriptures use it in human terms to help us to understand a little bit about what God is like. And here, God looks with favor on Rachel by giving her a son that she had longed for. And I think she starts to get the idea. Look at verse 23. So she conceived and bore a son and said, Notice, God has taken away my reproach. God has. Despite all of my wrangling, despite all my wrestlings with my sister, despite all of my misguided choices of offering my maid to my husband, you know who removed the reproach in the end? You know who got me what I really wanted? It was God. It was God because He controls it all. But, you know, she wasn't fully satisfied. Look at verse 24. She named him Joseph saying, May the Lord give me another son. Perhaps we could see that as a statement of hope or confidence in God and His mercy. Uh, but, but based on her uh, recent uh, condition or her thoughts of, of life, it seems as if she's not fully satisfied there. And isn't it amazing how fickle we are as believers? I hope every one of us in here would say that we trust and love God. We say that that He has complete, sovereign control over all things and that as Job says, no plan of God's can be thwarted. I hope you all would agree with that. And I think we all would say that. but, But here's the way it happens when it comes down to real life, and I include myself. We often exhaust all of our resources in an attempt to get what we want and in the end, it is God who ultimately provides it. And, and we we get ourselves into so much trouble when when we when we go against his designed plan for us, his designed uh, a desire for us, what he wants us to do, we go against that in order to move on ahead of him because he's taking too long or he's saying no. And we get ourselves into so much trouble. And then in the end, we get sometimes we get what we want, sometimes we don't. But when we get what we want, we look back and say, why did I get myself into so much trouble? In other words, why did I, I, I cause so much grief and, and pain when I could have just trusted in God? Now, it sounds easy. It sounds very easy when we look back on it. But it's very difficult when we're walking through it, isn't it? If we only would trust Him from the beginning, we would save ourselves such envy, and conflict and strife and bitterness. Now think for a minute with me. What is it that you can't seem to live without? What is it that fills your mind from the time that you wake up in the morning? What is it that you're working towards? The thing that in your mind is, I want to get this and I want to enjoy it to its fullest. What is that thing? Is it money? Is it just a little bit more money like Rockefeller said on his deathbed with multiple millions of dollars? Is it just a little bit more? Is it a relationship with someone? Is it the desire for children to respond in a certain way? Is it a job promotion? A position at work or church? Is it a child like Rachel wanted? Or is it to be loved by someone like Leah wanted? What is it That drives you. That you don't think you could live without if you didn't get that thing. Whatever it is, I can assure you that you will never be satisfied when you get that thing or any of these things unless your satisfaction is in God. You will never be satisfied when you get that thing you want unless your satisfaction is in God. And let me, and let me give you a little uh, uh, point of encouragement as well. Here's the bonus. When your satisfaction is found ultimately in God, when you don't get that thing that you thought you needed and wanted so badly, when you don't get it, it's okay. It won't matter. Because all you have, all you really wanted was God. Okay, so, so if your ultimate satisfaction is found in God, the circumstances of life can't shake you. You will be unshakable. You will be like, like someone who is firmly planted on the rock. You won't be able to be moved. Why? Because your foundation is in God. You, your satisfaction is in God. And so if you don't get that thing that you thought you needed to be happy, to to be fulfilled, it's okay. Because I still have God. And the thing that I'm enjoying now that I don't think I could live without if I ever lost it, when it's taken away, we still can have satisfaction, can't we? Because we still have God. Do you ever consider that God may not be giving you that thing? He may not be prospering you in the way that you want him to be because you can't handle it. And I say that to myself, well, I can't handle it. And here's what I mean by that. If we were to get that thing that we wanted, and we were to enjoy it, we could actually enjoy something more than we enjoy our relationship with God. We could enjoy that thing to the exclusion of God, or when we get that thing that we thought we wanted like the child, or being loved by the spouse with Rachel and Leah. We find out it's not as satisfying as we thought it was. And now, God, I don't need you. Or maybe it's completely satisfying in the sense that I don't need you, God. I'm satisfied with something else. And so God sometimes, as a loving Father, graciously withholds giving you what you think you need and desperately want in order to give you what is most important, and that is a relationship with Him, a clinging to Him. Because that's all you really need. That's all I really need. I really just need Him. And we get ourselves into a lot of trouble when at the pursuit of love and personal satisfaction, we go after these temporal things and temporal relationships. Those are not always wrong. Okay? I, don't want to, I don't want to just say, okay, all the gifts that, that God gives us are wrong. We shouldn't pursue them at all. We should have no desires in our heart. That's not what I'm suggesting. But, but when we love these things and put them on either the same level of, as God or above God, then we've committed idolatry. We've made that thing into an idol. And we've sacrificed the spiritual at the altar of the physical. Don't spend your life in envy and anxiety because you can't get what you think you need. God has given you what you need. God controls everything in the palm of his hand and if 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 you recognize this, then then you should be willing to accept the fact that God is the one who dispenses blessing. God's the one who gives fertility in the case of of Rachel and Leah. Now, I don't want to minimize your struggle right now. If you're reeling right now because you're unsatisfied because of something that's going on or something that you have lost or because you something that you never got in the first place, I don't want to minimize that, but I want to encourage you, don't become bitter or envious in your heart because this other person got it and they don't deserve it. They're not as deserving as I am. I'm much more faithful to God than they are. And why are they getting it? Don't be filled with envy and bitterness. It will destroy you. Instead, we must wholeheartedly trust in God and wait patiently for Him to bless us in due time. And by the way, His blessing for us may not come in this lifetime. His blessing for us in the way that we want to be blessed may not become in this lifetime. Let me close with Paul's words to the Roman Christians. Chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. He says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are very uh, complex. As Jeremiah said, uh, our hearts are deceitfully wicked and who can know them? For us to evaluate and to, to think about our own hearts and desires what it is we ultimately want. It's, it's difficult. I thank You for passages like this to help bring to the surface uh, some of the problems that we have, that I have, that I often exalt things and and dreams and wishes over Your sovereign desires. and I And I quickly can set aside those things and replace them with the things that I want and often go off the path that You have, you have uh, revealed to me in order to get them. And so I, I and, and I speak on behalf of our church, I want to ask for Your forgiveness and ask for Your grace as we move forward, as we seek to make You the center of our lives, as we seek to find our greatest satisfaction in You. Not in the things of this world that we think can satisfy, because they don't. Apart from you, only the, the things in life can only have meaning, can only have satisfaction, when they are done within the context of your purposes. So I pray for wisdom for each person here. I don't know what kind of struggles uh, individuals are going through, what kind of challenges, maybe um, unrealized dreams maybe a loss, a difficult time in life, health, relationships, money, job. But I do know that You are in control of all those things and You use them for Your sovereign purposes to point us to You. And so we gladly accept them knowing that You are a good and faithful God to us. Continue to use Your Word and Your purposes to direct us to where You want us to go. And reveal to us our sin along the way, so that we will not cloud and and muddy up the waters of of our lives with with uh, problems that are unnecessary. We each day has enough problems as, of its own, as James says. And so we pray that you would help us not to worry about these things, but to entrust them to you, and recognize that you are ultimate control, and that when the the gifts are given or not, that it's all because of Your hand and Your plan. Help us to give You the praise for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.